Hey everyone, it's Douglas Rogers here and you're listening to the City Road Podcast. It's great to have you along. And I'm here with Sam Dover, who is the new podcaster in residence at City Road. It's a new position funded by the Henry Hallahan Trust. And we're recording here today in the University of Sydney studios on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We've got a couple of really exciting podcast series for you coming up. We have one on women in architecture and another one on the history of the Cooks's River. All of that coming next year. But today, we're bringing you the first in a series of panel discussions from the recent Festival of Urbanism. I'll let Sam give you the quick rundown. Thanks, Dallas. So this year's theme was on endangered urbanism, and this episode is Endangered Country. It's a fantastic discussion with the panel speaking about Indigenous perspectives on planning and development, focusing on the areas of landscape management and local ecology. I'll be handing it over to Ellie Davidson now, a Balangara woman from East Kimberley. Thanks for joining this Festival of Urbanism event. Um, so I'm going to ask my dear cultural mentor, Belle, to join me in facilitating this experience. Belle, would you like to maybe just give a little bit of an overview about what a smoking ceremony or a smoking experience is? No, thanks, Ellie. Um, yeah, smoking with the right plants, the medicine plants, is a practice that cleanses the mind, the body, and the spirit. It's an ancient practice of releasing toxic energy or, or bad spirit that can accumulate in our bodies or that we can pick up from our busy lives in, in the world when we're walking around. Through the smoking, we draw the whole self into alignment. So we pull together our mind and our body and our spirit to be in the one place because often we'll be scattered where our body will be one place and we'll be thinking about something else and but our heart somewhere else and our spirit thinking about something else as well. So the smoking allows us to align ourselves for a moment and just be present, grounded and, and release some of the things we don't need to hold on to. Um, yeah, we cleanse ourselves and we ground ourselves and allow for um, the, the bad things or the things that no longer serve us to leave us so that we've got some space for what, we, what our next challenge or what our next commitment is. So we're inviting you into this virtual experience as a moment to stop and look outside your cultural lens and to ground yourself, immerse yourself and place yourself into this narrative. Don't just watch it, but actually imagine that you're in it and focus for a moment on all the rich images of country that are before you and come good way. Release any neg negativity you may be carrying and just be open to sharing in this yarn, this discussion that we're having here today. So I'd just like to invite you to think about the custodians of the country that you're dialing into from us with us today. I'm here on the country of the Nyambal people of the Bunjalung Nation and I pay my respects to the elders who've cared for this country. I'm coming from Minjimbul country, part of the Bunjalung Nation, and I thank the old people for caring for country so well that we can enjoy the, the beautiful uh, land, water, air and everything in between here today. In this process, we're walking country, we're identifying the right trees to collect from, and we're thanking country for allowing us to hold this ceremony, hold this experience. Mm -hmm. 
in the collection we honor the the plant for its gifts we honor country for growing the tree we respect and give thanks for the interconnectedness of life and commit to our role as custodians to care for country as she cares for us we honor the fire for its many gifts and with gratitude in our hearts and minds and spirit we collect the medicine leaves for the smoking Our old people are all around us. They're in the earth, in the trees, in the wind, in the water. This is the time to remember they are walking with us. They have brought us here so we can continue to care for country. When we bumajalu and strike the fire, we bring them back to life through this ancient cultural practice. We feed the fire to bring back the spirit of our old people, the strength and the beauty of our culture into the contemporary world around us. The old people are in the land and the leaves and we grow the fire. We keep feeding, feeding the fire leaf by leaf. So the smoke will take away the bad spirit and the bad thoughts and make way for the good spirit to come in. And we invite you into this space. It's collective action. Think of leaves from the country that you're dialing in from. Imagine yourself placing those leaves on the fire. And this is a personal invitation from my dad to be immersed in the fire and the smoke. Let your whole self embrace the smoke. Imagine that you are immersed in the smoke, sweeping it all over you. The smell, the warmth of it on your face, how it fills your senses, your eyes water as the smoke travels through your mind to release the pressures from your mind. Allow it to cleanse your spirit of the day Release your stress so it leaves with the smoke as it travels up to Father Sky. Let your spirit be light, ready for the new to come in. And the smoke moves through your body and mind to the spirit, cleansing through the ceremony fire as our old people have done for thousands of years before us.
Thanks so much for sharing in that experience with me, Belle, and holding this space for everybody. Um, we thought we would wait until after to formally introduce ourselves. So um, my name is Ellie Davidson. I'm a Balangara woman from the East Kimberley. I'm an Aboriginal planning lecturer with the University of Sydney and the director of Zion Engagement and Planning. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to host this session today. I think that there is such a strong desire and need and lean into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here to help facilitate the panel. Um, Belle, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Um, Nyara Jingili, Negala Bell, Negala Waka Waka Waima, Negala Agama Bunjalung Jagun. Um, so thank you. I am, I'm Belle. I'm a Waka Waka woman from Southeast Queensland living off country in Bunjalung country um, in Northern New South Wales. I am a trainer and consultant with Zion Engagement and Planning and uh, which is an organization that works alongside communities to empower their voice and vision for the future um, of, of places and spaces. So I'm really passionate about developing Aboriginal leadership through arts and community development. I'm a cultural practitioner and I am a community development worker in the local region here. So thanks, Ellie. Amazing. Um, we are here to yarn about endangered country and we're going to have a panel discussion. We all love to have a yarn. All of our panelists are really passionate and we're just going to let it run mob style. So, you know, just sit back, grab your cuppa if you've got it. Um, we don't have any slides to share. We're just going to have a yarn and just, uh, yeah, talk about the things that are important to us. So on that note, I'm going to introduce our other panel members or allow them to introduce themselves. I always feel a bit shame, you know, as people reading out this thing. So um, Chels, would you like to maybe come on and introduce yourself as well as maybe just reflecting on that um, smoking experience and um, what that felt like for you? Uh, gay everyone. My name's Chelsea Marshall. Um, I'm calling in from uh, Gumbangi country um, up on the north coast, um, New South. I am a cultural systems ecologist. Um, I also work in regenerative design and planning. And I've come from a long background of uh, being a ranger with uh, national parks uh, in New South Wales and also a manager in Indigenous protected areas. And um, I'm now dabbling in the realm of private land conservation. Um, on top of that, uh, I also have a, my own design uh, company, uh, Flying Fish Blue, and I um, also work in the space of restoration and uh, setting the scene straight in our. Uh, design and planning in New South Wales and Australia. Um, just reflecting on the, the smoking, I, I have to say hats off to you guys for being able to pull off a, an online smoking. It's probably my first virtual smoking experience. But, yeah, I think it still had the same essence and meaning. And, of course, you know, uh, these sort of uncertain times that we move into, into the future, you know, we need to be adaptable in, in how we uh, give and receive and experience things. So uh, thanks uh, for the, the smoking and the experience. Amazing. It's hard to recreate online. I've, I'm here, I've got my eucalyptus diffusing and I've got myself a little candle. So that helped me to, 
be a little immersed in the experience as much as possible. But yeah, I agree. It's like you just have to figure out new ways to engage and invite people into that experience. So glad to hear it was like you were almost there. <laughs> like we're almost together. I'd love to be sitting around on couches with a cup of tea having this yarn, but you know, we're just here doing this instead. Thanks yeah. so much. Um, yes. Christian, would you like to come on and introduce yourself? Yes, it's Womanjika, Malpa Malinyara, Christian Manaru Warang, Dagabu Mianga, Tharawal, Bella Bella. Yeah, my name's Christian Hampson, Manaru Warang. I'm on Tharawal country, so Bella Bella is, in my language, is the, is the lyre bird. So Tharawal um, country is predominantly the land of the lyre bird, and the lyre bird's a very important bird that leads us all early in the morning scratching through the undergrowth and revealing some food for the other animals that follow it. And also a very important animal because it uh, is our multilinguist, speaks many languages, learns many languages very quickly. So, um, yeah, so I'm CEO of Yerubingan. Yerubingan comes from my grandmother's language and it means we walk together. And it's uh, part of the story about walking, as you'll see, the footprints of our first people behind the animals and the plants and understanding the landscape through that lens and then being part of the landscape and, and learning about the responsibility to the landscape. So my background is like Charles. Charles and I have known each other for a bit too long, a couple of decades. <laughs> uh, I started with National Parks too in the 90s. Uh, my background then was in rock art conservation and then I was the cultural heritage manager for Western New South Wales and then the Northern Half of the State for a while. Um, and then after a while I got bored, went back and did my um, part of a pilot at the MBA school at uh, UTS and did some business studies and thought, oh, well, might as well start a business on the side and got so busy I had to quit my day job. So that's pretty much how I ended up uh, with Yerubingan. And, and at that time, I was more working with a couple of sort of commercial landscape design companies that sort of brought us on for just some advice and then gradually grown. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, this connect Connecting with Country stuff gets released and now I'm so busy, I can't even grow hair on the top of my head. So that's <laughs> So, um, yeah, look, smoking for me is, is very, like, you know, just for the same, like, when we worked, you know, across New South Wales and we would travel with the older people from on their country and work with them to conserve heritage. And when I was working on rock art, it was very much, you know, you learn how, how much the same it is, but how different it is in different country. And, and I think that's the really great thing that you express there is that, so for me, it is, it's, you've done a great job, but as you say, we need, we need smell-o-vision because um, the one thing I learned was that, that the, as you pointed out, what you burn is all about memory and it's about opening your senses on that place and also um, washing yourself clean, as you discussed, and then also protecting yourself and, and making sure you don't do the wrong thing. So, so yeah, look, everyone, you know, I love a, love a, love a good uh, the beautiful smells of different timbers and I think of Western New South Wales or the acacias and how it smells different to say you know the, um, the smells of what's burning on the coast and then for us when we used to go uh, with the with the old old people they'd have one that they they would um, burn which was actually a, a fungus that they used to have in there as well and part of that was just about you know clearing your mind so you're ready to learn things so um, I think I need some for my kids at the moment actually <laughs> all this homeschooling so yeah well done congratulations um it's always a nice point to kick off as you said it'd be nicer if we were all sitting out in the bush somewhere having this discussion but um almost as good well done 
just got to make it work with what we've got, hey? <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're all in this virtual world. Absolutely. and I was Holding thinking, space. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it this morning, just like what people are bringing into this space as well. Many people in extended lockdowns and, you know, I suppose um, bringing lots of different spirits there, as you were saying, Christian, in terms of what people have been going through at the moment. So I'm seeing in the chat that everybody's had a really incredible kind of engagement with that, which I think is um, pretty deadly. You never know what that's going to look and feel like. So it's great to hear that it's had an impact. Um, I suppose, you know, we're just here to have a bit of a yarn. And I think one of the things that uh, we wanted to kick off with was just sharing about how you work with country in your professional practice. I think each of us has sort of covered a little bit um, from our introductions, but yeah, just talking about country and how you navigate that, you know, space of doing it professionally and, and navigating between the professional and the personal. So I don't know if anyone wants to respond to you, kick us off. Belle, you're off mute. <laughs> I am off mute. Um, I was thinking about this, like country is kind of at the base of everything that I do. Um, I work more with community to keep community engaged in, in country, but through my um, cultural practice, I work a lot with plants, uh, with plant medicine and also botanic dyeing and printing with, with native plants. So personally, that's how I work. Uh, closely with country and um, that allows me to really go deep with what's going on seasonally on country as well um, but with my work not not like these other guys who've done lots of land management work I've worked more with community to keep communities um, connected to country and sort of more of an activist to to look after country in uh, different issues and allowing mob um, access to country to fulfill cultural obligations to care for country so at the moment with in my role, I'm um, training people to help them to see um, the importance of country to our people and redefining country past land as being a commodity, but seeing country as a holistic living entity that we're part of, not something that, you know, we're here to, to control and dominate and profit from. So I think that's, um, I find it really hard to answer this question succinctly, but you know that I'll, I'll pull up there. <laughs> Yeah, because country is, you know, country is everything uh, to our mob. Absolutely. It's hard to know where to start and stop, hey? Mm, <laughs> yeah. Like embedded into everything that we do. And, and I think sometimes taking those hats off, like the professional, the personal, the community, the family member, like it's just nice to have a space where it's all integrated. But I think that that's also part of this yarn here as well, is that we don't see things too separately. Um, yeah. That's true. Like the mainstream mob, they everything's in silos and boxes and separated. Where for 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 me, I like to see the connection between everything. And certainly, um, yeah, I don't see myself as separate people when I'm doing my work with country or community. You know, it's all it's all connected. Absolutely, Charles. Did you want to come on and respond to this? <laughs> I, I can. Um... Um, I, I suppose um, country um, has basically moulded and shaped who I am, I think, as a person. I've, I've um, had the opportunity, thanks to my parents and my family, to actually grow up on country and spend, you know, a lot of time on country. And I think that those cultural teachings that came with, with that 
essentially molded and shaped you know, my direction in life and um, you know, having uh, you know, cultural understanding and teachings about the landscape um, really, I suppose, started to define who I was, you know, as a teenager, et cetera, and, um, <clears throat> and my, my career path. And, yeah, obviously that led me into um, um, ecology and, um, and, and protected area management. Um, so having those teach, teachings as a young person, I, I got to understand, um, you know, storylines, the meaning of uh, different land, uh, different places on the landscape, a language attached to it um, from, from my cultural perspective first and, and then moved into, you know, this, this, this entity of, uh, you know, uh, Western science. Um, and being in that space, um, you know, the, the one thing I sort of did in the academic world was, was obviously bring to the forefront, um, you know, Indigenous worldview and, and perspectives um, on how we manage this planet, I suppose, holistically, and the, the whole realm of, um, you know, having Indigenous peoples place um, at the table um, and our perspectives um, is really important uh, and it's important for a number of reasons um, which we'll go into later I presume um, but you know in just uh, looking at how I work with country is that you know of you know I got into um, protected area management or an ecologist you know at the age of 17 so it it really shaped uh, who I am and my ideologies and you know, my whole outlook on everything and being immersed in country you know, every day. Um, and as Christian said, being able to um, you know, hang out with a lot of these old followers um, in different parts of country was, was part of that learning and sharing experience, which you know, I still hold um, in, in what I practice and what I do today. And, you know, one of the primary components of that is that, you know, it's, it's about country first, um, you know, country. Um, and there's that's you know, everyone sort of says it, you know, you look after country and it'll look after you. It's one of the most um, honest and true statements that, you know, I've ever heard in my entire life because um, it is country benefits um, people and benefits our society in so many ways. And if that is not looked after, um, you know, we essentially become, you know, a degraded society and degraded people. And, you know, that's not what being Indigenous is about. Um, <laughs> so, you know, having our perspective and influence on shaping the direction and the future is, is, is really important as well. Um, so nowadays I, I hang out with uh, people like Christian Hampson. Um, and I have hung out with Bill doing um, cultural arts, which was really fantastic. And, and now, you know, Christian uh, work in the same role as Christian, sort of uh, crunching at the hard, uh, the hard bits of, uh, of, of this whole thing with, you know, um, designing uh, with country and from country. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that, that's where I am professionally. I you know, also dabble in the realm of academia, 
and I've got to give a shout out to the uh, TK Hub um, at Deakin Uni, um, uh, and also um, yeah, I, I, I sit in uh, um, some sort of higher levels of um, ministerial governance and decision making that uh, basically promoting uh, Indigenous voice and perspective uh, in policy and legislation. So um, that's a lot to to crunch onto there. But um, if it wasn't for living on country and being on country and being able to also access my cultural resources, uh, including food such as oysters and fish and lobsters and prawns and all that sort of beautiful sea country stuff, um, you know, I wouldn't be as healthy and as mentally um, in the mind frame as I am. I hope, I'm hoping I'm mentally in the mind frame. Um, <laughs> um, as I am, and, and it's that that whole health benefit that comes along with healthy country is, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to experience that on a daily basis, and I'm very appreciative um, for it. Incredible. Thanks so much for sharing. It just, yeah, it's that way of just embodying it all the time and just navigating or being led by the old people into how what opportunities come up and how all of the knowledge and skill set that you've built over time will evolve into the next thing. Um, and I love that you're into academia as well. It's um, space where we need more mob and people and voices. Oh, it's, de it's definitely that voice of decolonizing. And, um, you know, I always say that, you know, it's okay. Everything's okay. We can, we can stop collectively colonizing now. Um, you know, that's, that's been done. We can now start moving into new paradigms and, and new directions. Um, and, you know, especially now that, you know, we've got such things as, you know, the Anthropocene climate change, you know, we really need to evolve and, and, and adapt or, you know, as, as people individually and also collectively, and then within our society. And it's those, you know, ecological or environmental kinks and changes that assist species to evolve and you know we're also a species on this planet and you know our place is within that holistic realm it's time to stop being you know human centric and egocentric and to move into that holistic thing of being you know um, ecocentric there's a bit of academic talk there just thought I'd show that off yeah. <laughs> Totally here for it, particularly at a, a festival hosted by a university. I'm sure there's a lot of people on the line speaking that language. So yeah, thanks so much. No worries. Um, Christian, did you have a response to this? We're sort of hearing a lot about it's how it's just embodied and something that you learn and just share and evolve. Uh, it just becomes part of who you are. But I'd be keen to hear your response to thinking about country and professional practice and what that looks like to you. Yeah, so look, similar to Chelsea, obviously um, came from a background of working in sort of, you know, cultural heritage conservation. And, and I think the thing I enjoyed about that most was those all that time to be out in quite remote spaces. You know, I was very lucky because of my background working in things such as rock art and I got to be to some really significant places and often time to be able to just, you know, chill out with the local mob. And I was, you know, I was very lucky when I worked in Western New South Wales, going to some amazing spots and then also all around the state but I think now for for us Yerra Bing and what is really exciting is is this you know the opportunity that 
designing with country offers to be innovative. You know, I think for us, I, I like the fact that we like to push the boundaries and Chelsea probably will probably talk a bit about this is that, you know, that, that, that our knowledge is, is yes, it's ancient, but it is also constantly evolving and we're always bringing something to it. And I think that's what's quite exciting is, is that, you know, designing with country for us is, is about drawing on that to create new innovative ideas with other people. And I think what I love about country is it's, for me, it's, it's, it's an inspiration to, to how we think about things, how we design things, the relationships we have with people. And I think the other great thing about it is, is that what we're hoping to do through the work we do is just make that country accessible. You know, country speaks every language. And that's the great thing about it. So if you're, in a, if you're a new Australian who's been here for 30 seconds, you know, it can be your country too if you if you hold that responsibility. And I think that's the great thing. And you know, and it, and it's and it, and being away from the urban environment for a long time, you know, in many ways, a bit spoiled. It's sort of quite easy to sort of tune in. Um, so when I came to Sydney a few years ago, at first I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. But then I actually think there's some really great opportunities about how an identity of Australia how we build our buildings can respond that can be you know both using knowledge of country can be climate change resilient it can be endemic it can be all these things but it can also be amazingly you know contemporary and beautiful and i think that's what i love now is when we do our sort of you know collaborative design approaches we we discuss you know empathetic design as as country as living being as we all as we all talk about it and i think you know, as both user and contributor to, to design, you know, I think that's thinking about that as, as if that person sitting in the room um, is, is a really interesting way for us to, and I, and I love the fact that this design space, you know, is now offering the opportunity for a new generation of our mob to come on and be, I mean, we've got what, 11, 11 registered Aboriginal architects across Australia, probably about the same landscape architects, you know, probably how many urban planners not many probably you know how many engineers all these people who are in these meetings that we're in and that you know that we're really trying to get them to come and sort of center themselves around country in the way they think and, and and strangely enough you know an engineer has lots to offer thinking about the system of country you know an architect has lots to offer about the inspiration of form of country landscape architect has lots to offer about presenting those smells and textures of country even if it's in you know, the middle of an urban environment, those in this day and age, I think, particularly where we're going through at the moment, the opportunity in an urban environment to, to engage with countries is, is huge. And I think I always thought about that, you know, when we used to travel around with those old people, they'd often talk about, you know, this probably overemphasis on the tangible, that, you know, we were protecting these spaces and, you know, we'd, you know, we'd get all excited about artifacts and things like that. But for them, it was, you know, it was, well, that if, if you don't know what that is or if you don't have the story attached to it, then they're essentially a bunch of rocks. So, and in many ways you can have country, you can experience country where it might not be easy to see, but it's actually easier to feel it than it is to see it in many ways. So I think um, for us, it's, yeah, it's an idea of inspiration and that, that country is this invitation to everybody. I mean, we've some projects we're doing, really country is this is is a multicultural basis all all cultures around the world have a connection to looking after the landscape we've just got to get back and draw all that wisdom back in together and 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 
also push our young ones up on top of our shoulders and say, well, you go, create something cool and funky, create, it, create your new skills, be entrepreneurial about it, but also then you can, you can have these amazing designs. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about song lines and the knowledge of that later, but you know, there's this, there is always new, new chapters to be written. And I think that's what's exciting for us is we're, you know, I'm bringing through some 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 young people, and that's it. Now, us old ones, we get out of the way soon and and let them take it on. And that's pretty much Chelsea probably can care. That's when we were in our early twenties, shall I say, not giving our wage away when we were first in national parks. Um, that was what was put to us: was that if you want to step up, then you'll have to do the next next round and bring the next mob up with you. So I think that's what's really exciting about it. Absolutely, um, we've got so much to look forward to and so much happening right now I think um, we can see that just in how many people are engaging in this space the chat is blowing up everybody is super you know interested in knowing what this looks like and understanding like yeah how do we overcome some of these challenges that exist um, you know I think in in my role and, and how I like to work with country it's really about empowering Aboriginal voices and advocating for change I mean we've talked here about you know, um, decolonizing the system, like that's what I'm all about. And I think that there is a lot for us to learn from Aboriginal ways of being and knowing and doing and acknowledging that there are existing systems. And the Western system has caused, there's this tension, you know, that, that and this clash between the two. So I just thought we might um, talk, have a little yarn about cultural heritage and the cultural heritage space. I think both, um, you know, everyone here has sort of talked a little bit about their engagement with that um, and their experience in that space. I think in my mind, you know, there is a lot of change happening. The cultural heritage reforms have been on the agenda for a long time. So it would be good to maybe just have a quick yarn about like, what are some of the challenges within the current legislation and what really needs to change? Um, because obviously these the reforms have been on hold for a long time and I know that there's lots of things that are kind of being fleshed out. But, you know, even there, Christian, you were talking about, um, you know, that difference between the tangible and the intangible and how we kind of evolve the thinking beyond where it is now. So I'm sure that everybody has something to jump in. I think it's going to be first off mute to, to respond to that question. Oh, is that me? That's you. <laughs> no, no one else was jumping in, that's why. Mexican <laughs> standoff. It was. I think one of the primary things to reiterate is that, you know, um, Aboriginal, Aboriginal people's culture is the environment. I think that's the the fundamental straight off the bat, and um, that you know any alteration to the environment, and and that whole landscape and cultural landscape is is an alteration and and, and damage to Aboriginal people and our culture. Um, you know our, our cultural landscape and our is our place. It's place. Um, our heritage is attached to those places, and so are our associated knowledge and and technology and our identity as First Nations people. So, you know, any alteration in, in that landscape is alteration to our identity. And I think that's one of the holistic components um, that I'm hoping is picked up in reforms. And we've always been saying that, you know, um, culture, heritage and the environment are a holistic integrated unit and that you know that it should be treated like that, and 
um, you know, I'm excited to, you know, have a check out the reforms and, you know, what that might, um, you know, place on, on, on our heritage. Um, but I think, you know, one of the key fundamentals is, is that, you know, landscapes, the environment um, is our heritage. So are the species, the plants, the animals, and every other you know, biotic and abiotic factor that's um, attached and within those, those ecological cycles. And we are placed in that, you know, as a human and, but also another species as, you know, caretakers and custodians um, in that realm. And it's about, you know, moving back into finding our place inside those systems um, that, you know, I think, um, the direction we need to go in and you know for a long time aboriginal people have always seen in that system you know our roles and functions as caretakers and custodians absolutely That's me i love that idea of the landscape as well taking that approach of thinking of a cultural landscape i think at the moment a big challenge is that the cultural heritage legislation you know you're always within the bounds of the site, right? And so might, something might be happening just over the edge, but it's not part, it's not required to sort of think about the interconnection between what's happening in a landscape. You, you don't just isolate a decision that's, here because it affects everything. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm aware of storylines that reach for thousands and thousands of kilometres, you know, <laughs> and even within country, you know, storyline can stretch from one part of country right through to the other. So it's, you know, reshifting our perspective to deal with cultural landscapes um, as part of cultural heritage. Absolutely. Belle, I can see you've come off mute. Do you want to jump in here? I stayed off mute. I really struggle with the, the separation of culture into tangible and intangible. As a, someone who's a cultural practitioner and part of revitalising culture you know what is considered tangible is evidence of cultural practice and we're the the oldest continuing culture in the world and yes we're evolving and now um, we can create you know these virtual smoking experiences which is not the same as um, a smoking ceremony obviously because we can't smell it and we can't taste the smoke and but we're evolving so that we can participate and we can keep our cultural alive using new technologies um, and what we need to do is is look at like Chelsea was saying and you were saying is is the cultural landscape and the stories associated um, with with the the cultural object because that's where the cultural practice comes from is from those stories from those song lines from you know from country itself um, and that's a big shift that needs to take place. And I'm not sure if the the uh, legislation can can really capture that in its first iteration or whether it's going to need constant tweaking for a while because it's a huge pivot. Um, we have a completely different, two different systems operating and um, more, I think we need more consideration of um, the depth of, of what culture and country means to us as Aboriginal people. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, that whole process of trying to shift that thinking and it not being separated out. Because I know that, yeah, in, in your yarns, sometimes it's just like, it's, it's all tangible, you know, it all feels real to me. So 
even going through that process, I think can be quite challenging to differentiate between something you can put your hands on to something like that experience that we tried to, you know, create virtually the, the other attachment that's there and how that gets captured in this Western system. Christian, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah. Look, as an ex-New South Wales government employee, I'm probably going to throw some rocks at him now. Um, <laughs> Feel free. Well, <laughs> mate, I'm cynical, right? Okay, look, legislation, you know, having benchmarks, all that stuff, it's, sorry, excuse my French, but it's bullshit, right? Anything that needs legislating, normally they'll find ways around it or as soon as you go in that, it's, it's, so for us, what we need to get to the point is, is that, you don't need legislation because the people of Australia value our culture as part of their culture and that they want to see it protected and they want it, they want that role of custodianship. That's the best outcome because as soon as you have legislation, you've got to have exactly those things about definition. You've got to have all this legal stuff. You know, it's common law. So, um, you know, it's benchmarking, it's, you know, it's guidelines, it's all this stuff that, you know, and Chelsea T, I mean, it's, it's so frustrating. Like for all of the, it's you know, you get the opportunity to conserve these areas but then meanwhile you know you can't be everywhere all at once and then these things are so until our mindset around what we want to do how we want to protect heritage and, and the word heritage i mean it's about it's, it comes from you know what we pass on for others to inherit essentially what heritage is so i think that's where the space is is, is going forward and um you know often it, you know it can be polarizing it can cause blues between our own mobs and all that sort of stuff and you know and it really can disempower us you know we whereas there's as you're talking about what we need to be talking we need to be talking on like a country scale don't we? i mean that's where that's where the values need to be and yeah you know we you know we can't go back to where we sort of put jump in the time machine and we're back and you know somehow we managed to make sure lieutenant cook doesn't get on the shore but I think what what is what is the opportunity now with designing with country is really thinking about how is how do we make it accessible for the that that new generation so that they can say no nah, you know I mean that's who's gonna that's gonna that's gonna who's gonna get us out of climate change I mean Chelsea you know her and I were in a meeting the other day she has this great vision of all those kids leaving school and protesting about what's happening to their planet that's the type of action that protects. Our, our cultural heritage as you said you know the environment's part of our cultural heritage so i have very cynical about any legislation because there's so many political things around it you're talking about a process that's run by people who think in two to four year windows which is so detrimental to to country um so it's actually about all of us saying no nah, that's not how we want it to happen the best thing in the world would be you wouldn't even have to legislate for it you know, because everyone's like, oh, my God, my kids have to have this. All of our kids have to have this. This is for all of our kids to inherit. So, I, yeah, I mean, I went to a meeting in, again, show my age, mid-90s, which was supposed to create a separate Aboriginal Heritage Act in New South Wales. And what are we, what year are we in now? And we still don't have it. We're under the National Parks Act. You know, we became citizens and weren't, you know, weren't part of the Fauna Act. And then once we weren't a part of the Fauna Act, they heightened that. You know, we'd get we'd be better off if I was if we were a threat, listed threatened species. <laughs> we'd get more protection. So it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And I think that's the, that's the key is, is that you know we government's not really going to do it. It's it's all this. It's people coming together and whether it's at their you know local level and that's probably the space for it, isn't it? You know, local communities are all coming together around what they want, 
And part of it is they want they want access to country. They want to be able to all kids to learn about it and respect it. And that's that's where the key lessons is, isn't it? When your kids are like that. You know, when we will learn all our stuff, that's when it is. It's when you're a little kid, eh? And then, because that's before you get cheeky, become a teenager. So they make sure that we learn that if we muck up, things happen to us. So when we're a teenager, we sort of behave. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think yeah, the cultural legislation, which is a shame because I know Chelsea too. When we first started there, we were we we went in there going, hey, like we were, if anybody touched our heritage, we were going to kick heads, right? And then unfortunately, you find that these these bureaucratic systems are, you know, equitable which means that nobody gets anything. Um, yeah, so there's my rant about it. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's a good yarn. And, you know, I, what I really loved about what you were sharing is that it's very difficult to decolonise the system. We currently exist within a very rigid legislative Western framework and it's really difficult when you start talking about it for people to go, oh, like, what does this mean to me and how can we just you know, shift a whole legislation that has, is ingrained and it has a legacy. And I think that everybody pulls their hair out thinking about what that could look like and feel like in the future. But yeah, <laughs> well, that's why all your hair's gone, is it? <laughs> um, so I think like for me and what you were sharing there, it is about collective action. I think like one of the things that I'm really passionate about is like decolonize your thinking or your mind, decolonize your practice, decolonize the system. It's not going to be something that one person or a group of people do. It is that groundswell well at a local level of people taking up the charge and going okay well in the heritage legislation I'm not like there's a process but am I capturing the right people with a voice for country am I able to actually hear what I need to hear for my project through the process it's running if not maybe I need to go beyond that maybe I need to take it upon myself to ask about cultural values mapping instead of just this archaeological investigation like what are different things that I can do within my area of influence that even though it might not be legislated how can I extend my practice because I know that there are flaws currently within the legislation that aren't picking up these things that are important. So um, yeah, I don't think it's gonna be necessarily that full, that we'll get to that point, I think eventually, but it is those individual mindsets changing, their practice changing, and then hopefully, yeah, we'll decolonize the system together, which would be pretty deadly. <laughs> um, I'm mindful of the time. Look, I've asked two questions and we're already, you know, well deep in this yarn so um i just want to acknowledge everyone who's been sending in questions i am saying right now we're not going to get to all of them that's just a reality in this space and we all love to have a yarn so one thing that i am going to do is just turn to a question or two that was sent in prior to everyone being in this live space and i think that you've um it's been touched on a little bit this kind of new designing with country connecting with country framework obviously is a very hot topic at the moment. And someone asked a question of any practical examples that are addressing the policy, any case studies, anything that's working well. Um, I'm personally involved in a couple. And I think um, for me, you know, without talking about them directly, it's, um, yeah, coming back to that whole thing about empowering the voices of the custodians, allowing the custodians to lead. Like, 
for me at the core of this framework is about listening to country and so it's about coming up with like a process of what that looks like and making sure that the voices of custodians and people who can help you listen to country are empowered in these processes so um, keen to hear any other thoughts um, on this framework, how you're implementing it, any practical advice or examples? Leaving space for someone to jump in. Uh, I might go first this time. <laughs> Change up the order. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think it's, it's really interesting. It changes every month. And I think that's great. You know, it used to be that we were probably like any other thing, you know, sort of at the end of the process. and. Um, been pretty lucky now at the moment involved in a few projects where it really is almost to the point that they've asked uh, First Nations, you know, designers in the space to come together and think about, you know, how someone chooses the people that should be part of a team and how that understanding of country and that engagement with collaborative design with community can happen even before they start to, to, to pick people for it rather than sort of, you know, what's the attributes, how they open to it. And I think the, the great thing about that is, is that we're offering part of ourselves into this process in the hope that people who come on board with it also offer part of themselves and an opportunity to, to you know, really feel like a kin. And I think that's the great thing about some of these big projects that I'm on at the moment is, is that the, the people who are in it who want to change their practices really want to do it at, a, at, a, at an emotional level. You know, they want to, you know, they've got, they're, they're brilliant designers, they're incredibly smart people. They just want their eyes open a little bit. And then the great thing for us is we always get so much benefit out of that same relationship that we have within these spaces. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's really interesting because, you know, it's expanding into all sorts of stuff. You know, there's, there's innovation in this space and I think that's a great thing, you know, you can think about where there's there's problems. Like I, I like I like problems. I like roadblocks because I think that's where the the best ideas come from. Where you really have to go, okay, what the hell what the hell are we going to do here? We're not allowed to do this, or you know, like well, I've done a bunch of stuff around the Western Sydney Airport. One of the things they all freak out about is is plants because you don't want to have birds. And so, well, what are we going to? How are we going to have landscape if we can't? But you know, thinking about thinking about that our ecology and our landscape we as custodians have managed it and it's not always been the same we've been through ice ages we've been everything and Chelsea and I were often talking about this one day saying imagine what we would look like today if we were just the first nations modern country you know we would have traded plants from my country into your country and things like that because we would have because we would when we come together that's what we do we that's where we that's how our knowledge is so connected across the landscape and the landscape is that codex where we store knowledge and I've you've probably heard me say this before but I, we invented the cloud blackfellas right because we got no written language so the only place to store tens of thousands of years of knowledge is in our brains and none of us have a big enough brain to even uh, store one millionth of it so the only way to store it is connect all those brains up and then the great thing is is that from that the way that you unlock that is you need that landscape that's where song lines come in because that's they've worked it out that that is the we have the most effective way of memorizing knowledge it's very specific knowledge so you don't lose it because imagine if you accidentally forget which plants which and one's poisonous and one's not one's one you like to eat pass that on but the other thing is too within our mobs everybody had a little bit of that knowledge and that's why everybody's job was really important and i think the great thing was is then if one mob lost that knowledge 
then you've always got brothers and sisters and other mobs who share that responsibility in that in that mob and that's why this great thing about no one knows everything we all know a little bit and the great thing is is that's because we're all everybody's job is is super important and that doesn't matter which job yours is and and you know what if you're no good at hunting you don't get to go hunting <laughs> you know what i mean mm. if you're no good at identifying which ones are medicine and which ones are poisonous well then that's not your job but the great thing is is everybody's job is important and that's this, this, I used to get it described to me when I was a kid as like this big spider web, you know, there's all these little, always building new connections between, between our knowledge and the landscape is what maps that out. And that's dance and song and art. And I think the great thing is now is there's an opportunity to, to extend those, those song lines into things we need to do. The landscape's changed. I always remember hearing that story about that mob up in the Kimberley when they first had cane toads come. So they, did a new song line, which was all about managing country to protect the goannas that were dying from eating the cane toads. And they put that in their language and they put that in their art as a way to teach their kids about, look, this is what we need to do on country to try and do that. And I think, again, this climate change and all these things, what we design can have so much about sharing country, inspiring people about its form and structure but then also about its practical system support of, of, of country and its health. I mean, environmental consciousness, as Chell said, is our, is our spirituality. You know? we, we, that's, that's what it is. We, the environment is, a, is, is what makes us who we are. That's where we believe we are. That's where, you know, <clears throat> you know our brothers and sisters and mums and dads and uncles and aunts, that's where they are. They're around us. They, our, our spirituality is an ecological system and therefore it makes us and I think that's a, you know, a great thing like when, you know as a kid I was inspired by it and I love I love the fact that you know kids are the ones who can learn language from whatever culture they can come together their eyes are open to this idea of this of this thing and so we can get those kids to teach all their old mob about what's the right way to do stuff Amazing. So great. I think that there was a, a number of questions in the chat coming through about young people and the next generation and how we engage them in this process. And I think it's, yeah, you've covered some of that quite well. Um, I think, you know, something that's really coming through as well with those different people with different knowledge and the importance to keep talking as well. I think like for me, what I'm definitely seeing evolve and change is that Aboriginal voices are embedded into multiple parts of the process it's not just like when we get to this one point we'll go out and we'll talk it's like from the start and then just that continued yarn throughout a project lifespan I think kind of seeing that opportunity to really make sure that the community had taken on that journey and that um, you know outcomes are respectful because I think sometimes you can hear something then you interpret it in your own mind and then if you run away with that you know, without checking back in from where that story came from or for who holds that story and to make sure that it's in context. I'm definitely seeing this evolution of a continued yarn, you know, which I think is really important to touch base with all of those different people with knowledge and um, really making sure that it's respectful in, in the outcome. Um, does anyone else have any thoughts here on the connecting with country framework, designing with country, things that you're seeing happen, practical tips, Charles? Yeah, look, I'll just add on to Christian's um, words. Um, yeah, obviously one of the things with connecting with country and where we're going into the future is this thing with sustainability, you know, after 27 years or more, uh, we sort of realised that it's it's not working to the best efforts that we, it could have and it should have. 
Um, so, you know, when you start looking at, you know, designing from place and, and connecting with country, um, you know, one thing I do is think about, you know, well, the sustainability and it's the sustainability of country, it's sustainability of all the components of country, it's sustainability of our culture, um, and it's also sustainability of our, you know, overall culture in general, but which includes sustainability of ourselves. And yeah, I often go into um, design with that, uh, you know, well, what does an indigenous sustainability lens look like? Um, and of, you know, you know that, you know, the term sustainability and the meaning is, is very, you know, defunct of, uh, you know, cultural ideology and indigenous sort of um, import into that. But the same thing is there about, you know, protecting and conserving and, and having these resources, et cetera, for future generations. So, you know, in designing, it's, it's, it's more so about, well, okay, well, how, do we, how do we build these frameworks and for these platforms for, um, you know, mob to come and have interjection or to stand on and to then to start building more platforms. And, you know, it's not so much about, you know, I don't know who to engage with or who do I engage with. You know, the first sort of component is about building that platform. And as you said, you know, having that platform as a continuum, so it runs through the whole cycle of projects and the whole cycles of design. It's not just a interjection at the last minute or bringing Aboriginal people as a, you know, through consultation or through, you know, it's actually the involvement and embedding it you know, the, the whole way through. Um, but then, you know, adding to that, you know, sustainability is obviously that, you know, Aboriginal people think very differently to your average sort of um, Joe blogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I've got cousins that have come out with some really bloody wild things over time and friends. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there's that differential in mindset and obviously uh, background. Um, and, and a lot of that as Christian, you know, he loves the left field. Um, yeah, that's the sort of turning points that we need. We need to start thinking differently um, as to how we have in the last 250 years, um, especially in Australia. Um, and, and, and having those platforms and having that thread that's weaved through, you know, allows all these, you know, Indigenous sustainability, Indigenous worldview, uh, traditional ecological knowledge, local knowledge, um, you know, country uh, interpretation and country embeddingment, it, it all then starts to roll into those platforms. And the more platforms you have, the better the project, I reckon. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think like, yeah, something that I'm hearing from you and definitely seeing um, and experiencing is like, yeah, not... It, it, being seen as a value add, not just this kind of thing that we should do or a requirement. It's like everything that you're sharing there about the knowledges that come to the table and the different ways of thinking. I mean, we have got ourselves into a pickle by following like these Western ways of doing things and how they treat the environment. And I think there's this shift and turning point to really valuing Aboriginal knowledges and what that means and how it can actually help produce better outcomes, not just tinker around the edges, but at the core, like what could that radiate out to in a project and, and how could we just, yeah, just think yeah. really different. I, it is, and I always think, yeah, at the start, 
you know, it's like, okay, if things have, would have gone differently with Lieutenant Cook and that whole, you know, colonising um, in, intent and aftermath, you know, if that would have all rent differently and things would have been done differently and we would have had equity from the start and we would have had inclusion and our knowledge is included in the formation of this nation, you know, what would it have looked like? And this is the starting point, starting at that, okay, we now have an opportunity to reimagine what that would have looked like. Absolutely. I'm totally here for it. Um, Belle, I know that you're not directly involved in sort of projects in this space yet, yet. I will put that out there. But what, how are you kind of seeing um, in, in the work that you're doing in training, how are you seeing this conversation and dialogue evolve and, and what is it that you're sort of hearing? Oh, it's a really interesting yarn and um, it, this, this framework allows for country to be put at the centre and at the start and that's really what needs to happen is that people that are custodians who know the story of country need to be uh, seen as valued partners to the approach not just like some something that you engage with or something you know that you some someone that you consult with but partners um, in the journey of um, respecting country leading to more sustainable outcomes I reflect quite a lot about how um, sustainability is intrinsic to our culture people ask me about you know to write about indigenous sustainability or to speak on it so it's not uh, it's not something that we consider as separate to the way that we live our lives it's it's intrinsic to what we do and that's what's exciting here is putting country first allows for lots of innovation in the sustainability um, you know in that exploration of, of different technologies or designs that really um, capture that and embed that moving forward and it's exciting it really is as long as we're you know our people are, are given that opportunity to co-design, to be part of a whole project, not just at the start, not just at the finish, um, but throughout the whole uh, life of, of a project and beyond, like what happens once it's delivered, you know, where where's our people's opportunity um, to be part of that and to really benefit country through uh, the work that's you know that's happening so um, it is it's a big step forward in decolonizing this massive machine system and it really does require um, you know the the people working in the system to acknowledge that they've got a different cultural lens and shift that and allow for um, that other that other lens um, to come through and to listen without, you know, with without the um, assumptions or presumptions about what an outcome is going to look like is really critical. And I think that's something new for, um, you know, for this for this industry and this sector is for people often go come to our people with um, with a with a design in mind or an outcome in mind, and it's about actually coming to the table to to yarn and to talk so that we can be part of creating those solutions together. Wow, what a really amazing discussion there. Hey, Sam. Yeah, definitely a lot to chew on there, Dallas. Uh, we really hope you all enjoyed that discussion as much as we did. And stay tuned for our next episode from the Festival of Urbanism. This is City Road. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.